Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. I am Aid and you are listening to show 106. Uh, I was a bit miffed when I heard back to the 105 last week. I'd quite like to have been involved in that conversation but I couldn't make it. But tonight you get all three of us because Rach and Graham are both here. Rach, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Aid. Yes, not bad. Um, I am rather sweltering up in in Liverpool. I don't know what it's been like uh, where you are, but uh, but very very hot um, uh, today and uh, yesterday. So uh, it's been it's been lovely actually having some sunshine um, and actually being able to feel feel some sun on my skin has been has been good. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm good. I have a half a glass of of wine now. So uh, even better. You've and, drunk uh, half I've already. You only poured that about a minute and a I half ago. Ha- I had poured a half glass, to be fair. Uh, and I've uh, <laughs> I, I quickly necked half an ice cream as well. So uh, so I'm fully in the summer the summer vibe at the moment. Fair enough. <laughs> it is hot down here as well, actually. I went to the beach yesterday, but more on that in a bit, because uh, there's a photo story associated with it. Graham, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you, Aid. I have also been out, uh, I'm not going to say enjoying the sun, but I've definitely been out in the sun for many, many hours at a time. Um, I am currently sitting here uh, enjoying the other things that really sum up a British summer in that my arms, my forearms are basically just throbbing with stinging things the whole way from top to bottom. So that's quite magical. Um, and yeah, it's been very hot and I'm having to be quite careful at the moment to make sure I drink enough water at work and wear a very fancy hat. Because um, yes, it's quite, when you're out in it for sort of seven hours, eight hours a day, it gets a bit wearing and it's um but no but it's been good uh i had a when good week fancy when you say fancy hat do you mean like a top hat <laughs> i was going to uh, go with it... like a wide brimmed sunbonnet oh very nice <laughs> uh, i mean either of those would be pretty great actually if anybody wants to send me either of those two things i will absolutely wear them to work but no mine's a kind of more of a big green floppy hat which is uh one set of corks away from being a full, full aussie look um so yeah, it's, I'm very stylish whilst I'm at work, um, at all times of the year, but especially in the summer. And my um, ghost tan is going really, really well. So my arms and my legs that are exposed to the sun are very, very brown, and the rest of my body is polar white. So it's a really good look. I am, I mean, it's perfect really for analog photography because I'm heading towards becoming basically monochromatic myself. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah okay so not a good time for those uh shirt off selfies that you're so famous for then <laughs> well it's always a good time for those eh? but okay I'm all right not... no sorry i'm glad no i wish i hadn't said that now why don't you move on let's stop stop painting pictures with words and uh introduce our guest for this week uh, I am very pleased to have the person we got with us this week. I first became aware of her work actually and this is embarrassing because um this person represents a group which we we don't really talk to very much on this podcast. It's very much a minority that we deal with, and by which I mean this is a, a, a young person. And um, I first became aware of her work when we were interviewing the last young person we had on the show, which was over a year ago, so not great. Um, uh, joining us today uh, from the Film Freak YouTube channel and um, Instagram and all sorts of other places, and most recently, Analog Wonderland. It's Kate Hook. Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you here. So, yeah, as I said, when I, f- I think I first saw your videos when we had Josh on last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'd done a video for YouTube um, interviewing Josh and talking about medium format and stuff like that. So I sort of saw your work then. But, um, yes, it's been rather overdue us getting you on. So... <laughs> 
let's get a quick bit of background about um about who you are i i know you've been into photography for a long time um even though you are still a youth you have been into photography for a long time so can you just give us a, a quick bit of background on how you got into it and what got you to where you are today um yeah sure so uh i started young younger than i am now i mean i'm you say that i'm a youth i'm what 13 a couple of years so i'm still i'm still young but you know i'm getting there um but yeah so my dad was really into photography um so was my great uncle vic and my step granddad arthur so when i was a kid um they would take pictures of us i have like a really early memory of my uh, step granddad arthur taking pictures of me with his polaroid when i was about four or five and showing me the process of it so i can actually remember like when i first like was aware of like analog photography um then I think uh, it kind of came full. That's actually quite funny because that's kind of come full circle because I have a four-year-old cousin and I take Insta photos of him and he loves mm. the whole process of it. Mm. Um, so I grew up with it. Um, actually, the first camera I got when I was about 10 was, a you know, the Polaroid iZone camera. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that, that was like my first camera when I was like about 10. So that's like kind of my first gateway into it. And I admittedly have been trying to look for another one with film on eBay kind of loosely looking to see if I can get another one because those were really fun. Those were the ones, just to remind, they're the ones with like almost like the sticking plaster films that you pull out, that kind of thing. They were stickers. So you pull them out and then you cut like the two ends off that were paper and there was a sticky bit at the back and you could just stick them up, to, stick them in like notebooks. So really like late 90s, early 2000 kind of thing. My mum found one of those recently, and it still had some film in it. And unfortunately, all the, all the goodness in the film had gone. But um, but I think I have still got the camera somewhere. I, I think somewhere. Um, you can have it if you if I've still got it. You can definitely have it. It's, it's fine in the film, but I know you can modify it apparently. So it could be worth maybe doing for a future video at some point. In, at some point, maybe I'm not too sure. <laughs> anyway, sorry I interrupted. So you got your eyes own camera, um, and then what followed on from that? Yeah, so um, I just messed around with it. So I, when I was at uh, secondary school, me and my friends would take photos, but we didn't have like camera phones back then. It was like, probably just beginning. So we would get like disposable cameras. So it's always kind of been there and always kind of played with it, but I didn't get into it properly till I was about 14. And I used to go out and take photos with some of my friends and my dad then gave me his Canon AV1. Because I know on this podcast it's quite common for people to have their first cameras be the Canon AE one, but mine was the AV. Um, so that's what I used. And then I kind of found that I had a bit of a knack for photography. And I dabbled in like digital for a little while as well. And then when I was 16, I went on to study photography at college. Uh, but I didn't, it was a bit of a rough time because I did it. So I had like my first year, it was fine. But then suddenly my mom passed away just before second year. So I wasn't at all that interested in doing it afterwards. So I stopped for about a year after I finished my diploma and I just didn't do it for a while. And then I think probably like 2010, my friend Ali was saying to me, because she saw my Flickr account and was a bit like, why don't you do photography anymore? And I, I didn't really I didn't know what to say to her and she, I, I, I was kind of like yeah she's right I should really just get back into it there's never really stopping me at this point so I bought so I saved up a bit of money I bought like a DSLR but then I also bought a mini Diana 
from mammography and that's where I really ventured into like double exposure and experimental stuff and that's when I realized oh I can do so much more with film and yeah it was a real eye-opener and I just haven't really looked back since so I did like a lot of odd jobs I did party photography using film as well as like odd digital uh, odd sorry odd digital jobs as well and uh then in 2012 I actually got a job with Lomography mm-hmm. in Birmingham so they had a concession up in Selfridges so I worked for them for about six to eight months because it was only a temporary concession and I learned a lot there as well and ever since I've just been going for it and I and so I did like a little bit of both. So I did digital and film, but then in 2016, I decided because with Instagram and I didn't, I wanted to be a bit more consistent with what I was uploading. And I decided, oh, I'm just going to do film photography for the next year. So it was like a personal project that I wanted to do. I really wanted to like get really disciplined in photography. So I did that and it literally snowballed afterwards. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think what we obviously really need to talk about is the the your your work and the style of your work because, um, I mean, your work is incredibly distinctive and and it's stunning and spectacular. And what I love about the things you were just saying, which really comes through in your work, because you 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 use excuse me a lot of techniques like double exposures. You also um, do a lot of film souping, yeah, <laughs> um, and things and stuff like that, uh, which are often seen oh this is very experimental this is very much oh we're just going to try this and you know it's seen as a more serendipitous way of taking pictures but as you were just saying you're approaching this in the way where you're using these techniques but working at it to be consistent in what you're producing how did you get into working in, in this i mean you talked about picking up the diana and and starting on the double exposure but what led you to want to create this incredibly vibrant colorful work and and really lead into um quite a sort of abstract look to a lot of your pictures um i think it's just a case of trial and error because i did a lot of very commercial kind of work when i was younger so i did a lot of the boring stuff. And I think that kind of made me want to do a lot more experimental things. Um, it wasn't really, so when I had the Diana, I knew about double exposure because I'd learned very briefly about it at college, but I didn't really like get the most out of it when I was there. So I didn't get to do all the really mad experimental stuff because I didn't know I could do any of that kind of stuff while I was doing my studies, which really annoys me. <laughs> it's like if I could, if I knew I could do that back then, it's like that would have been incredible. But um, it, it's kind of like a lot of things really that kind of that influences my work now uh, with the double exposure that I didn't really go into full string, swing with that until 2013 and that was actually after my dad died and what happened was um I left the jobs that I was at and I was staying in the house that he lived in that our family home and I was just taking pictures a lot while we were sorting out the house and I was getting really experimental with it I was side rewinding the film a lot um I was using a lot of experimental film that I had back from when I was working at Lomography which I think is like some of it's discontinued now and I was messing around like uh cross-processing kind of like as a distraction from everything that was going on and then it it just grew from there and I was kind of like I kind of believe that you got to do certain things like you got to take photos and then see what you want to improve on 
So in 2013, going into 2014, I was like, I really want to get better at doing double exposures. And then that led into me getting a Lumo LC wide camera. And um, mm-hmm. so I do a lot of like the, like people think it's like reflective pictures, but it's like upside down pictures. So I will take a picture of the building or some trees and it would just kind of warp it and make it look like a really twisted reality. And I got really into doing that. And it was kind of like maybe a coping mechanism and kind of like exploring the world a little bit through just like through my lens and just really sorry there's like a really loud car outside or sorry <laughs> <laughs> is that what that is I thought maybe it was your tummy and you needed to <laughs> yeah so this is what I mean I live on the main road um I'll start again sorry um so uh for me I started doing the experimental stuff as kind of like to cope with what happened and to really explore the world because I've had like what some pretty dark times in my life. So it was kind of like playing with photography and playing with cameras, literally seeking the light and seeing what I can do with it. So yeah, it kind of all comes from there really. I mean, a lot of with photography, there's always elements of abstraction within you know, the fact that it's a two dimensional image. The fact that if people you know, are shooting in black and white, well, that's unusual again. And, or not unusual but again that's another a separation from the real world and your pictures a lot of them really do feel like oh this is taking me away from reality yeah. um and and it's interesting you saying that this is something that you very much got into at a time when reality may not have been a place where you were particularly wanting to yeah. spend a lot of time hanging out um so but so with these processes it has been a practice it has been a a case of practicing them to get to the level where you're getting these consistent results yeah so it it takes a lot of practice and because I know you can throw caution to the wind and really mess up I know I've made a lot of mistakes there's been a lot of like trial and error in the process of my work uh, especially like film souping um I've been quite fortunate to be fair Uh, I know horror stories because my film lab palm labs in Birmingham they're so supportive of me doing film souping because they can dry it. They're absolutely fine with doing it. They'll tell me absolute horror stories about other people doing it. Like there's a girl who came in like last year with fully bleached out film and they struggled to find the image. So if anything, I kind of learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> That's a good so it's way like, of doing yeah, it. I, it's like, Oh, I heard about this person doing it wrong. I'm not going to hmm. do what they did. But, um, yeah, so it's just a lot of practice and not at the same time not really overdoing it and starting small. So you can start with, you know, if you want the bright contrasty colours. I was doing a lot of uh, cross-processing. I started using filters as well. And, yeah, so it's a gradual process um, because it's a very expensive process as well sometimes. So you don't really – you can't afford to make mistakes. But I've gotten to a point where I'm quite confident in my skill and what I can do especially with stuff like film zooping and double exposure because I feel like I just taught myself so much. I have what over what 10 years experience now and probably around five years experience in being an experimental film photographer, even though it's not always showing in my work, but I know I can put in a roll of film in one of my cameras, go out and I'll have some idea of what it's going to look like, especially once I shoot the film and if I choose to do something to it afterwards. Mm. Um, actually, could we just talk about film souping? Because 
yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've talked about it in passing on here in the past, but I don't think... Rach, have you ever done any film souping? Um, I, no, the um, the closest I've got is getting the Cool Girl Shoot film, um, film souping book that they put out. And uh, I, re- I read a couple of recipes out from that because they sounded fun. Uh, <laughs> and I was just looking at, at yours, uh, well, obviously, at, at Film Freak, and I love that you have one that's specifically about limes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I was wondering if that's always your, your favourite of the citrus fruits to uh soup in <laughs> it's actually uh lemons lemons is ah, my favorite thing yeah limes okay. is a little bit weaker because if you watch that video yeah. Yeah. you see that the there is an effect but it's Quite very subtle. mild yeah. yeah yeah and i think well, I was, sorry carry on well no because can you can you just because there may well be people listening to this who have no idea what we're talking about yeah. at the moment which is just <laughs> can you tell us explain to us what film souping is and, and what your standard practice is and what the kind of results you get from it are Okay, so film souping is where you distort the chemical balance in the film and it distorts the colour. So sometimes you can get a colour shift, uh, sometimes you can get really mad effects. Uh, for me, I've experienced in the last year probably like colour shifts. So I was getting a lot of pinks. You can get like a lot of dotty effects as well. So it basically distorts the image. So you know how some people will do fake uh, effects on like their phones so they'll do take a picture and then they'll add like a fake light leak or something like that but it's real so mm. it completely distorts the image depending on what you do so my process normally is I'll pick what I'm going to use and I normally use lemons because it's, it's so high in citric acid and I prefer using a natural substance for film souping because I just don't really like the idea of using chemicals but for the sake of a video I might try and do one in the near future so I'll have my, like my lemons, I'll get some warm water and I'll have my film. And there's, bit, there's a little bit of debate in the experimental film community where it's like, oh, should you soup the film prior to shooting or after? And my personal take is it should be after because if you soup a film prior to shooting, you potentially run the risk of damaging the inside of your camera, mm. which is for me a no-go. I cannot afford to damage my camera. So I will shoot my film. Uh, that, that, so when it's exposed, I will soup it in some lemon juice. So I'll probably what, do a couple of lemons, a little bit of warm water. There is obviously some measurements involved in that, but to get an idea of what I'm talking about. And with lemon juice, because it's so high in citric acid, I would do it for like about 15 minutes. So you can stir it, you can shake it in a container. Then you take it out. And to be quite scientific, I normally would stop the chemical reaction with water so kind of the same like a stop bath Mm -hmm. so you stop the chemical reaction with water so it doesn't keep affecting the film even though the liquid is in there but it slows down the reaction quite massively and then you can either dry it yourself if you have the means to but i'm very fortunate that my lab have the means to dry the film before um developing it and that's it really and it is a really simple process and it can really add a whole other layer to your work. Uh, but I do understand that there are like traditional photographers who see that sort of thing and then to see it like, why would you do that to film? And I've had some people say to me like, oh, do you rely on doing stuff like that in order for your photography to appear good? Which I totally understand because I don't do it for all my photos. But yeah, so that's simply the process and quite a little bit of the debate that surrounds film seeping. 
Yeah, in, no. in terms of um, using lemons and uh, the effects that you get specifically from that, what kind of look is it that you tend to get using using that kind of high citric uh, acid level? Um, some of the psychedelic uh, mm. effects. So the last one I did, it came out really dotty, which I was quite surprised at. Mm. Um, but it really worked uh, with the photos because it was of a it was a portrait set that I did with this girl. And she's wearing like these blue gems on her the, face. The the crying tears, yeah, amazing. That, that yeah, worked so, out really well, didn't it? Yeah, so I'm like, so for me, sometimes I'm not gonna lie, I'm really lucky with how it turns out. Um, but when I was doing it uh, about last year or so, I was getting a lot of color. Um, so I was getting like rainbow effects, and I was quite aware of it. So I realized, oh, it's probably the different kind of lemons I'm using. So if they're organic, if they're not, so I realized that does have some sort of an impact. Mm. So the more, I found that the more natural, so organic, natural, grown lemons have a much more nicer, color, colorful effect, whereas the non-organic ones, with all the chemicals that are pumped into them, have a bit more of a chemical look. So I keep that in mind now. So I, I tend to aim for the more organic so I can get more colorful effects. But yeah, and I'm very open to trying it with different things as well. So we were saying what, before, what so kind of like base stock do you use? You know, in terms of the film itself, um, what do you tend to use that you're shooting on, and then before you're souping it, if you if you like. Uh, personally, I actually use like expired film, so I buy mm -hmm. expired film in bulk off eBay Amazing. just because it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, like sometimes I use what Lomography's 400 uh, ISO film. Sometimes I use Kodak. Um, there isn't really much of a difference between, but I think I should probably look into that a bit more to see if there is a difference between all the film stocks because obviously they're all made differently with different formulas. So that could actually be worth investigating, to be fair, mm. now that you said that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I wonder how, you know, obviously it's it's kind of like trying to make something consistent from something that's very inconsistent but yeah. just to see what the differences are between different stocks if you're using um you know lemon on all of them it, yeah. you know it, it would be kind of cool to see uh, what the difference is especially if you you tend to use expired as well because obviously there are various color shifts and different things and yeah. obviously you might need to expose for longer and all of that anyway depending on how old the film is and where it's been stored and things so uh, yeah that might be kind of fun and cool to like actually do a little bit of a, a variety test almost. yeah that'd be cool thanks that's a really good idea for a video thank you no, well, that's the thing. You, you, as you as you're working towards getting consistent results, I guess it's important for you because a, a lot of your photography is portrait photography. You've got some really beautiful portraits on here. Um, do you? Is there ever a time when you, either you have thought after the effect, after the effect, or um, or when you're shooting it, thinking, God, I think these have come out really nicely. I'm not sure I want to run the risk of putting them through this process in case. I, I get a beautiful portrait that's just, I don't know, there's a splat in the wrong place. Um, or is that just, no, this is just part of the process and you, know, you go with the flow on that? Oh, all the time. So um, it's actually normally like, with, say I'm taking pictures with my family, like those mm. pictures will never get souped because I just, I, I know they would not appreciate it if like the little four-year-old got covered in like splotches and color shifts. <laughs> <laughs> so normally when I do a film soup that involves portraits, um, I have it already in mind unless I'm absolutely like, no, I, if I think no, like I really like how they have turned out in my mind. 
So I've done a shoot recently with a friend and the idea was I was going to film suit that particular role. Then I just kind of went against it. I was like, nah, it won't go uh, with what the projects that I'm doing. It's like all the other film hasn't been souped, so I don't want to distort her pictures as well. So it really, I think it depends from shoot to shoot. If I have it in mind, like this film's going to be souped, I would actually shoot with that shoot in mind, knowing that. But other times I'll get the film and think, should I do something to it? And yeah, quite a lot of the time it's no, I won't do something to the film simply because I just don't want the, to have any effect on it because I know I'll have friends and family that will want the pictures, you know, normal looking, so to mm. speak. Yeah. In, term, in terms of when you're working with models, Kate, um, I, I presume they're generally models, uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah the uh, portrait sessions that you tend to work with. Um, do you do you specifically talk to them about the fact that you're going to be film souping it, or do they come to you and say, "Oh, I've seen that you do film souping, and this is something I'd like for my portfolio"? How how does that kind of relationship work? Um, so how it works is I'll post my photos or I'll get in touch with a agency and show them my work and be like, this is what kind of, this is what the uh, photos are going to possibly look like. So when the models do <laughs> come you can't over, tell. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's going to be kind of like this, but you know, you just kind of <laughs> trust me with it. I mean, that's what the last thing they're thinking about when I'm talking about film souping because I'm getting them holding up flowers and doing all sorts of things mm -hmm. with the multi-exposures. So I'll, with a few actually quite recently it's been a case of I'll explain to them what I'm actually going to do I remember with one girl a couple of months ago I told her I was going to do a film souping video and she was like oh how about like actually I said to her I was going to do her film in a film soup and she was like oh do an Instagram live story and um because she was really interested in seeing how I'll do it for mm -hmm. example so it's kind of like it's always been taken on with quite a lot of interest with these models great so I'm glad so far the ones who have modeled for me have trusted me enough to do something like that. And no yeah, disaster so far, yeah. <laughs> which is good. It is. I mean, you, you talked before about the fact that um, the, there is some pushback uh, from people, not not just people who have been shooting for a long time. I think there's, you know, there's all sorts, everybody has an opinion on everything. Um, and against this idea of, well, are you just using this as a crutch? Um, I, I, I mean, personally, from the way you're describing how you approach it, it seems like no more of a crux than anything else we use in photography is. It's a technique that you're using. But um, have you found that as you've been shooting uh, these, uh, is your approach to your the way you're doing things, has it evolved? Have your tastes changed over the years? Do you find you're now doing things in a different way? Or can you see yourself moving into a different sphere with this? Um, I've definitely evolved a lot as a photographer. And that's what I want to continue doing. Um, I My tastes have definitely changed from how I approached photography when I was a lot younger, especially in the style of what I shoot. So the subject that I was shoot, how I approach it. Yeah, it's, it's completely changed, especially like with my view on digital photography. Um, I'm all for it, but I actually, you know how people, I actually believe where, you know, when people edit the uh, digital photos to look like film I'm not really for that because I just think why recreate something when you could just do something completely different with digital that's always been my kind of take on it because I've always done experimental stuff with digital when I was younger so I would do really mad edits on you know photoshop mm. which I'm all for uh but at the same time I'm very as a photographer in general I believe if you are a photographer, if you shoot on digital, you should have some understanding of film and some appreciation for it and shoot on it. But yeah, so my approach 
is more I have a lot of like respect for film photographers um and yeah it's just something I want to continue exploring myself and always evolving because I don't know everything I'm still relatively quite young and I just want to keep exploring all these different methods because we live in such a like such a highly technology technology world where everything's so easy to do in the palm of your hand where we have something that's still very authentic that so that's the way I kind of see it that's why I want to be able to do something physical with like a canister of film as opposed to just throw on a couple of filters and just do something like that so yeah, yeah. I, I think I have quite a, an interesting view on mm. photography in general no I think it's so true as well I mean as you said there's there's lots of interesting stuff that can be done with digital even if you want to be super experimental I know that um I've seen some work by a friend of the show um a story of pieces who was doing glitch art and stuff like this and they're like it's fantastic like yeah that's really cool you want to do something funky and weird do that but don't don't emulate something that can be done analog elsewhere because that's I don't know, it seems less worthwhile. I saw a a conversation online uh, this week, actually. I think it was Steg and uh, Leah Elm, both of um, obviously who are both friends of the show. Um, And they were sort of talking about the fact that they'd recently picked up their digital camera again and how different it was going back to that, that they were really enjoying it because they'd been spending obviously so much time shooting film um, and that it had made their practice in terms of digital that much better. Having, yeah. having been working in analog, um, you know, for the vast majority of what they've been doing recently. So it was kind of actually a nice way of getting them back into digital almost uh, for on like a sort of temporary basis, shall we say, um, because they because they've been shooting such a lot with film recently that it was a very different um, and more mindful way of actually starting to shoot with digital again, which uh, was kind of nice because uh, I just thought that was uh, an interesting take on it, really. Yeah, I totally agree because I think with digital, you can be so mindless with it. You can take like hundreds of pictures of the same thing. Yeah. And that's why I hated about the editing process is then you have to go and pick the right shot. Whereas with film, it makes your eye for detail so much sharper. And, and that's what that I discipline really, as well, yeah. you know, as part of that process as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, majorly. So when I went strictly film in 2016, I noticed how much better I was at like focusing around a subject taking a picture in general whereas with digital it's kind of like you can be a little bit lazy and be a little bit reliant on being able to take like hundreds of pictures in one go yeah it's it's film certainly i i I think it's hard to argue the fact that it gets you into better habits let's talk about your youtube stuff so this is something you sort of got into in a more serious way a couple of years ago is that about right yeah um so actually the idea for the youtube channel first came about in 2013 so originally I was I was thinking about should I do a YouTube channel about digital and film photography and it would have been so much different to the Film Fruit channel now simply because I don't think I would have even shown my face I probably would have just done <laughs> simple Photoshop tutorials um, film souping as well but then unfortunately my dad passed away quite mm. shortly after I had this idea so everything just went out the window at that point and I actually honestly I didn't think about it again until mid 2016 so three about three years on um and what happened was I was watching some videos on YouTube I was looking up for some film photography stuff and I noticed there wasn't that many like experimental videos which I found a little bit odd because I wanted to try some new things and I kind of noticed there was a bit of a gap in the YouTube market which is actually quite rare these days (laughs) yes (laughs) 
so I was like, oh, there isn't that many experimental pit, like uh, videos. That was interesting. So then I started talking to my friends about maybe starting a video, like uh, some, doing some videos, starting a YouTube channel. Because at this point, I was studying film and TV production, but I absolutely hated the course. I was kind of looking. I wanted to make my own videos, and I was very fortunate that I got this job, uh, a really good part-time job offered to me. So I was a bit like, okay, cool, I can take this job. And they were fully supportive of me doing a YouTube channel as well because I told them this is something I want to do um, as kind of like a side gig. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, so I started So I started filming my videos end of 2016 and then released them at the beginning of 2017. And admittedly, there has been like a gap from probably in, around the summertime. But now it's like, okay, now I have a bit more organisation. I have Analog Wonderland back in me. Um, so I talked to Paul probably like once every week or so. So we can discuss ideas about like films that are coming out, what I can talk about, other things as well. So yeah, it's been really good. And um, it's like, I feel like it's been kind of like slow growing, but I think that's the best way it should be. Because I would hate it if I suddenly got loads and loads of subscribers. And then it's like, oh, I can't make any videos just because the environment I'm working in is just not right for it. But yeah, so... It's really, really good. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what what else I'm going to do with, like, YouTube because I'm always coming up with ideas. I'm always getting people asking me, like, to do certain videos as well. So, yeah, that's it, really. I was well. I, I really like the fact that your well. I like the fact that your videos are they are short and really really well produced as well. I was watching one earlier. Um, uh, how to film soup? Uh, lemon and yerba mate tea. I'm definitely saying that wrong. Uh, yeah, my tea. I was drinking so before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no uh, I mean, it was. <laughs> I, I love watching you doing it, and it's. Uh, I, I am actually. I don't know with you. Um, with this stuff, Kate. So I tend to develop most of my film at home. Yeah. Both color and black and white. So could I go straight from souping a film, stopping it, and then just develop it straight away afterwards? Is there any reason why I couldn't do that? You would contaminate your developer if you did. If oh, you're absolutely oh. fine, yeah. But if you're, you know how like, because developer actually has a bit of a long life. So if you, you can recycle it from what I can recall, because I'm going to be developing my own photos again in the future, because I haven't been in a dark room for about 10 years myself. But if you went from souping a film and then straight into a developer, you will contaminate it and you won't be able to use that developer again. So I recommend just use it when it's like its end of life. And yeah. then it should be fine. Uh, just wash it. Like That's what uh, the guys at my lab do. They just wash the film and dry it uh, just to make absolutely sure that it's fine. Yeah. But and they're, it's okay. Yeah, but they can be my own little drum thing. So it, it should be okay. But just bear that in mind if you want to soup your own film and then develop it yourself. It will just mess up the chemicals. Because this is why like commercial places won't touch film soup because you can potentially ruin somebody else's film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes and um, the uh, lemon and was he yerba mai tai? Is that right? Uh, yerba mai tai. <laughs> I, I'm not very cultured. Um, it, did you drink that afterwards? I'm no. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Maybe before. Have a little sample beforehand. Yeah. But yeah ne- never afterwards. <laughs> like you're oh, steeping it. I suppose a few of the dyes might have come out into that. Yeah, that probably probably not the best. Um, no, it, it's great. I, I, they're great um, videos. So the, this stuff you're doing with Analog Wonderland now, can you talk to us a bit about what that is and um, how you end up getting involved with <laughs> that riffraff? <laughs> 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 
yeah, so I saw, you know, a Revolog talk about them on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, a new uh, film store is opening. That's awesome because I think we are quite limited uh, in regards to online shops because I tend to buy like directly from uh, the source. And if they're out of stock, I'll search on the internet to try and, someone, try and find someone else that's selling a particular film stock. So when I saw this one and saw that they were selling, what, over 170 different kinds of film, I was like, right, I have to get in touch with them and know what's going on. So I sent them an email just telling them, like, I do YouTube videos under the name Film Freak. Um, And Paul got back to me and just said, yeah, let's arrange a chat. Let's uh, talk about what we could potentially do. So I approached them. And, um, yeah, so... I think it's really like grown kind of the ideas because originally it was like, oh, let's do some basic videos. And then it's like, actually, let's talk about films and other stuff as well. So the list of videos that I'm going to do with them just continuously grows. <laughs> so it's really good because if anything, it's given me an opportunity to really explore the different types of films that I really want to try and also talk about a bit more of the basics as well because I didn't think on my own, like, on my own, on Film Freak, that talking about basics would have kind of fit. So to have a partner to actually have, like, a really good platform to talk about the basics to a whole new audience seemed to fit what I, seemed to fit the aim so much better as well. So, yeah, it's a really good partnership. Like, Paul sent me a message right before this saying good luck with the podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with talking to Graham, basically, is what he meant. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean... That's, we've said frequently that there's been one of the nice things about Analog Wonderland and about Paul and about his whole approach to this is that um, the the community being part of it and being involved in it and working with the people within it is something which is clearly hugely important to him and and it's um, I think I sent a message to him earlier in the week saying oh we're we're just going to ask. Kate, well, what am YouTube? <laughs> Please explain to us. And he said, "Yeah, that's basically what I did." <laughs> um, uh, but no, it's yeah. Incidentally, uh, listeners, um, and also perhaps uh, Rach and um, Aid, you may not have seen this, but um, we will be having Paul from Analog Wonderland coming back fairly soon. Yeah, he's going to be back on in a couple of weeks, believe it or not, on I think the 16th, because he's got something coming up, which, uh, you know, he has not shared in detail yet. We can't talk about, but there's something happening with Analog Wonderland, and I'm sure we will see more about it in the coming weeks, but keep your eyes peeled. I think there's something exciting on the way. interesting. Yes, indeed it does. So I'm very excited about that. And also, it would just be lovely to have Paul back on. And apparently he's bringing a friend with him. So uh, we will see who that is. It'll be very exciting. We love teasers here. (laughs) I love teasers (laughs) when I'm the one teasing. Um, But no, that's awesome. I know you, I read elsewhere, Kate, um, because obviously, as I said, your videos are very well put together. You spent the time, even though it sounds like it wasn't particularly enjoyable time, um, studying film and cinema. and you've also got all this analog film stuff um, that you're doing for your YouTube videos. And I, I've read that you you want to get into doing you know, analog cinematography. Are you making any? I know, as you put elsewhere, it's very expensive. Um, yeah. Have you made any headway in this? Uh, no, <laughs> um, I do. I have a 3D camera, um, one of the Nimsol's 3D. So that's like the closest I've got. But um, actually, it's saying that a friend of mine. Uh, my friend Rina from work has kindly uh, donated a Super 8 camera to me. Um, it's just a case of I'm just going to fix it because um, she's had she, she's bought it like years ago and she wasn't using it. So I remember she posted a picture of it and I was like, what is that? 
give that to me and she finally <laughs> gave it to me so it was a case of I need to fix it up but yeah I am actually going to venture into doing Super 8 um, once I get this particular camera she's given to me working so yeah. it is like that's like for me the next step because I do get a lot of like my friends asking me like when are you going to start doing it in moving image because that's something I really would love to do like make short films just make some short videos using film and do it in an artistic manner as well mm. so it is like the next thing and I feel like when people like you ask me about it I'm like I really should make a move on it so yeah <laughs> Okay, um, hopefully I'll be uh, speaking to uh, a friend of mine, uh, Suze, who's a DOP, actually, and I worked on a 16mm uh, film noir with her. Uh, so obviously that was all, all shot on film and what have you. So uh, hopefully I'll be chatting with her soon. And so you'll have to, I'll have to, you know, connect you up or something. Oh, yeah, something totally. I would absolutely appreciate that big time. Yeah. Because when I was studying film and TV production, it was like an ongoing battle with the teachers because I was like, I want to do cinematography. And they were like, mm-hmm. no, you should do the costumes and makeup and all the other stuff. And I was like, why? Because... Oh, well, actually, my second year was because I was the only girl. Oh, my God. Yeah, I won't go into detail too oh, much. Yeah, I mean, come on. Seriously. Yeah. Sorry, Kate, not you. I'm just, oh. Oh, no, I will quote. It was, you should do the like the makeup and art and costume for this short film because that's what the girls normally do. Oh, oh my God. God. I mean, no, no, seriously, I know this sounds ridiculous maybe to you, Graham and Aid, but sounds honestly, it's just... Horrifying. It, that is just not surprising. My my groan was of yep. Yeah, <laughs> familiar. Um, I can't believe. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I can't believe because that is just the way it is. And yeah, yeah. <sighs> it it sucks. And I remember when that happened, I just walked out and yeah. it was like, yeah, I'm not coming back and doing this course. And I was very fortunate that I had this job on the table, and I was like, yeah. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do YouTube because f them. I'm yeah. Gonna, and I, I was like, I'll take my time. I'll focus on YouTube. And I'll move into moving image with analog when the time comes. And I've been very fortunate because as a result at my job, I I had a friend give me uh, a Super 8 camera. So, yeah. So so I have to ask. Sorry, Rich. I have to ask, Kate. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've already talked about the fact that um, shooting film is, as a cinematographer, is quite expensive. And even Super 8 ain't cheap. You know, it's, what I don't Mm -hmm. know, 70 quid for a roll to get... Oh, are you gonna are you gonna soup that super eight from? Is this, I, mean, I I absolutely think you should. I absolutely, but that's it. It's like oh, that first one's gonna be a real bigger. I know because it is like, is that even possible? Will the lab be okay with that? But it's actually something I've been researching to be fair. Because I'm also been looking at cameras that can do uh, double exposure as well with super eight, and I know mm-hmm. it's a really complicated thing because of the canisters and the rolls. So I'm, it's something I'm actually. Uh, researching on and off and I'm like yeah of course I want to like do something to the film I'm actually half thinking to draw on it and like do like little things on it as well if I can but I'm not entirely sure how that's going to go but it's a case of when the time comes obviously I'm going to do some experimental stuff that sounds brilliant. And how are you finding? Because um, you, you've you've you said you've done work, you've done product shoots, you've done shoots for different businesses as well. At the time, I mean, how do you find getting your work out there? What's what's the general um, environment for work like yours at the moment? For me, I actually I voluntarily kind of been like, you know what, I don't want to get paid for this anymore. Like <laughs> me too. Because, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to get paid for doing photography. But I was I was doing a lot of work up to 2016 
that I would never post on my Instagram because it was just, you know. I mean, commercial digital work. Yeah, commercial digital Mm -hmm. work. Like, I mean, I did like, I filmed a park in London for one thing uh, in 2016. I was in the Highbury Park for like three days and I was just lying on the ground doing time lapses and taking pictures. No, no way would I ever post that because for me, it just doesn't work. But I have been fortunate at times where I've been asked like, oh, can you do your film photos for us? So Mm -hmm. years ago, like party event, like parties in Birmingham, you know, night, nightlife. Sometimes the event organizer would just be like, can you shoot on film? And then it's a bit of a discussion of, yeah, you have to pay for it. Are you okay with that? And normally the answer was yes. So it's just been a case of if people want me to do it then that's awesome but then I've gone into with my style of work thinking I'd rather produce the work on my own terms because I also believe because uh, because I want to kind of quote Bill Cunningham uh, the street photographer from New York uh, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago mm. he said um, don't like if people pay you then they can tell you what to do and that's the way I kind of see it with photography now so if I do what I want to do on my own terms then no, no one can tell me what to do kind of thing. So it's like, oh, can you do photos like this for me? Can you do photos like this photographer as well? Because that was a bit of a battle that I was dealing with a couple mm. of years ago where people were showing me photos and be like, can you do this? And I'm like... <laughs> like a haircut. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like, okay, but, you know, it's not really my style. Mm. So I wanted, wanted to get to a position where people came to me and be like, I want photos because of your style. And that has ha- actually happened a couple of times, like this year, without me really putting myself out there for work. So it just takes yeah. some time, I guess, to get to that yeah. point, doesn't it? That's the thing. It really, yeah. really does, but it's a, it is a bit of... Um, it is a hard choice to make where it's like you can either be commercial and be more viable or you can really focus on your own style and I've taken the latter it's like I rather focus on my style focus on my work artistically than just do the commercial boring stuff in my opinion it's it's boring but I just I've done it for so long that I just don't want to do it anymore and I rather do the work that I want to do Mm, and if people want to pay me for it awesome that sounds awesome aid Last year, you you know, really stepped out of your comfort zone and um, gave Red Scale a go. Do you think film sipping <laughs> might be next on the list? Uh, do you know what? Actually, yeah, maybe. More more likely than you're going to get me in a lab developing my own film, I have to say. <laughs> well, I was going to say, at least you know, with this, as Kate has explained, you, you can just find a nice, friendly lab and send it off to them. <laughs> yes. Um, Kate, it sounds like you've got a really excellent lab. Do you want to give them a little shout out? Who was it again? They are called Palm Laboratories in Birmingham, in Digbeth in particular as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been going since I think the, I want to say the eighties. So for uh, film souping, pretty pretty uh, pretty on board with that. Yeah, they're they're so on it as well because they just they're really encouraging of like experimental photography, doing something a bit different, and they always give me like tips and advice on what to do. And yeah, I really like, I don't think I would have gone full film if it wasn't for these guys. So uh, Steve in particular, who is just the nicest guy in the world, like he always asks me what the pictures are going to be like. I always ask him for like a little review as well. Like, what do you think of the scans? And um, yeah, he's someone I really trust with like my film as well. So yeah, Palm Laboratories in Digbeth in Birmingham, absolutely incredible guys. Um, I, I work with a lot of like young people who are younger than me who are into film photography as well. And 
when like, they talk to me about taking pictures, I'm like, where do you take your film? They'll be like, oh, Jessup's, Snappy Saps. And I'm like, yeah, don't go to Palm Labs. <laughs> and every single one of them is giving me like rave reviews about the guys there. So yeah, Palm, Palm Laboratories, once again, in Digba, in Birmingham. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. So yeah, so aid, you don't need to even, you know, look at doing it yourself. You can you could send it off. So yeah, what what do you reckon? So I I am just about catching up with the show from a couple of weeks ago, uh, where I've got my double film that I've bought, and I'm going to try that. Look at you! This is uh, I love it. Little uh, little baby steps. Actually, do you know, do you know what? I'm very I am very keen on the idea of uh, shooting movies with film. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I do some video anyway, just purely for me, mostly family stuff. But uh, you know, I do like. I am in the process of teaching myself the 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 video post production process at the very least, yeah. and trying to get better at the shooting bit as well. Um, so, 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 so if you got hold of a Super Eight camera, would you give it a go? I yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I think I would. I probably that was a very tried. loaded question, and you chose poorly in your answer. <laughs> Because guess who's got a Super 8 camera that he will be posting to you? Uh, well, okay. All right, fair enough. I'll see what I can do with it. I, I'd be quite happy to do it. I'd have to plan it out, though, I think. with, with you know, It's not like you can... Uh, I don't think I would start off with the whole sort of run-and-gun thing. I think I would plan out something to do with it you know, uh, and then try and get that and then get it back and edit it into something that is sensible. I've actually got an editor as well, um, a Super 8 editor, I'm not just doing, so you know. I'm not so doing analogue editing. I am not cutting what? film. Oh, come on. That was the best <laughs> bit. Kate, have you ever done any analogue editing with uh, with tape, you know, with a piece of tape and a razor blade? No, but um, I actually did, uh, when, I was, when I was studying, I did do like a massive research project on analogue film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very fortunate that the uh, Midlands Art Centre down the road from me was actually doing an analogue weekend. So I got yes. to actually mess around with some film there and actually see what they did. And they showed like little short documentaries, um, how to make frames and stuff. So I had dabbled a little bit, but more like drawing mm-hmm. on um, uh, analogue strips, which was really, really cool. So I've dabbled very, very lightly in it. That's cool. Yeah, it was um, lots of fun. I mean, I remember doing um, my first sort of bit of uh, radio uh, journalism editing. That was literally reel to reel. So it was uh, a, a reel of tape on one side, a reel of tape on the other. And you literally had a razor blade and uh, a, a bit of sellotape and you would find the point that you wanted to edit and you would cut it and then stick it back together. So, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Which makes me sound ancient. But, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still mid 30s, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah that is that is how how I started with uh, with radio and then in terms of um visual and moving image it was um VHS so in terms of post production that was also analog uh, so you had from tape to tape so you'd have uh, your VHS in the top and then you'd have your VHS in the bottom and you had uh, your deck in between and you basically went okay preview that a hundred times you know just to make sure you're absolutely certain that that's what you want to do because it was linear editing and then you finally made the made the edit and then went on to the next edit so obviously you you could not mess up (laughs) because otherwise you have to re-edit the whole you know half hour documentary or whatever so uh, yeah that was uh it's it's crazy how quickly it moved between uh it being that um, sort of analog literally tape to tape um, to uh, to them being non-linear and uh, I had a similar experience where they went oh well you'll be you know um, producer or you'll be you know doing dealing with makeup or something again because I was a, 
a girl or a woman uh... or whatever. Um, and I said, sod that, and and stayed over the summer and learned how to edit. And uh, they all came back and, and they were like, what the hell? <laughs> there was me in the edit suite like, da, 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 done. <laughs> it was great. Oh, so, that's brilliant! Uh, you know, it, you you did a sim- you went down a similar route by the sounds of things, Kate, which was nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sod them. We'll just do yeah. it ourselves anyway. Whatever. It's like uh, I'll show you. I'll show yeah, you. all of that. That was but, the nineties, yeah. wasn't it, Rach? That was a girl power time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was early two thousands. I'll have you. Oh, know. right. Okay. Well, whatever. Oops. <laughs> 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 I think maybe you get get us out of this to a break eh, before you put your foot even more in it. Maybe. No, I... no. Oh, no yes no maybe <laughs> yeah break yes i think i think it's a tea break okay we'll have a good we'll, we'll, we'll have a break then uh, yeah actually uh we've been going a little while but that, yeah it's fantastic conversation and great to listen to i am i am uh yeah i i not really thought about film souping before but that's mm. it's a sound interesting but i am interested in shooting definitely shooting movies on film as well that's something that i'm keen to try but uh, uh graham does your film come out actually work I, yeah, I think so. I think so. I, 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 I bought it a while ago. I've not tried. Because the thing for me is that Super 8 film um, feels a bit like a tattoo in that I think, like, God, <laughs> I'd have to find something. I'd have to find something I really cared about before I before I went oh, ahead I with see. that. Because yeah. um, then you got, what is it, three minutes? Is it three minutes you get from a roll of Super 8? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah something, something like, like that. that. Yep. Yeah. Something oh, well. to ponder it's, over. It's... Okay, so we'll t- I'll tell you, so something to ponder over while we take a quick break. Then, so um, uh, fantastic to have you on the show, Kate. I uh, hope you enjoy yourself, and uh, we will take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly. And we're back from break, which, as ever, is longer for us than it is for you, dear listeners. But uh, there's four of us still here, plenty to talk about still. Um, and, well, I guess we'll start off with some news. Uh, Graham's just got one word in the show notes this week, and that word is Ronald. Yeah, I've been out with Ronald again. Um, I'm quite enjoying this uh, whole large format thing because you can take one picture and then just develop it, which is great. None of this 36 shots nonsense that takes you forever to get through. Um, no, I went out with him uh, last week. Yeah, it was last week after work. I just, okay, took, I took him to work with me. And just I'm still just experimenting, trying to get used to using him and just get used to the process of shooting large format. Um, and Graham, just gen- before you go on, maybe we should explain to Kate that Ronald is a <laughs> camera. Sorry, yeah. yes. Sorry, yes, for anybody who does not know what I'm talking about, man. Ronald is um, a 1960s monorail 4x5 camera, uh, a Plowbell Peiko to be precise. Okay. Um, a great big heavy lump for studio camera, <laughs> uh, which I take out for walks with me. Um, he's uh, he is very very heavy though, um, and yeah, I, I've not I bought it last year. Bought him last year. Sorry, that's very rude of me to objectify him um and uh but it's only really the last month i thought okay i'm I'm actually gonna find time and um been loading up some film sheets and um getting out there and i'm finding the process not let's see uh, uh, yeah easier i think than i thought i thought there'd be loads of areas where i would hit problems i thought oh loading film into the 
holders will be a nightmare that's not that's fine they you know it's easy enough to do i thought um that getting the film developed would be a nightmare it's not i've got a system with that now and i was lucky because i happened to have when i bought my enlarger a few years ago um along with all the gov that came with it i got a patterson color print developing tank uh and an, an orbital thing a rotary orbital thing which is perfect for developing four by five sheet film um at least it is now i've cut off some of the bits that are on the inside that were rubbing on it so that's great and um i'm finding that the, the general flow of taking pictures also is going nice and easily I, i'm concentrating on the moment on taking pictures of things that aren't people because then i can take as long as i need to to just go through it um but yeah it's it's really good fun I, i'm really enjoying shooting four by five and it's definitely something I, I think i'll be doing more of um the only thing is he, he as he, he's just so heavy <laughs> so very very heavy <laughs> oh um, dear. got a rail and everything right Oh yeah, yeah. This is a well. You've seen him, haven't you, Rich? I think I uh-huh. showed him. To you. Yeah, he. I, I don't know how much he weighs, but he weighs a lot. And that, I mean, I'm not a small person, but I have the bag on my shoulder. My oh crumbs <laughs> instantly. This is pulling me over sideways. So, um, yes. So, uh, good stuff. Are you going to soup any of that large format there? <laughs> You know what? I, I, I'm not going to say no because I have been thinking about that. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm only shooting black and white. Um, I've been uh-huh. shooting Fomapan lately um, uh, just to, you know, because that's um, good, cheap and cheerful film and it's a good one to get learning on. But I have got some that came with the camera, some expired um, portrait sheets. I don't know how many, but I mean, I, I, why not try a couple of them? It would be rude not to, wouldn't it? Um, so I might give that a go because, uh, you know, souping large format, <laughs> that will annoy so many people. <laughs> it always has to be done. Including your purse as well, you know, your wallet. You'll be like, oh, God. We so were talking about that, weren't we? <clears throat> yeah, but like I said, the portrait's already there. So technically, it, it was free, technically. <laughs> so that doesn't count. Um that's not real. That's not real money. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. That I'm thinking, God, when when that's gone and um, and I have to buy color four by five film, that is quite expensive. Um, black yeah, and white's I can imagine. not too bad. I mean, I think a hundred sheets of the foam pan cost me about under forty pounds, and hundred sheets is a lot of sheets. Um, that but is, that's that's a lifetime supply, isn't it? It is a lifetime supply. Have you done any stuff with large format, Kate? Um, only at college, actually. Um, I remember we did a day of doing large format um, and I took pictures of like someone's hand uh, with like jewelry, them holding the, holding jewelry in their hand. But that's kind of it. I haven't really ventured into it. Like I only really want to start getting into doing more medium format myself. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole idea of doing large format is like a whole other world to me, but something I would definitely want to explore as well. As I said, mm. the nice thing with the large format is that because it's everything is like an individual shot, you can kind of, you know, you're talking about double exposure and stuff like that. You can do all sorts of fun stuff with it because it, there's not a whole role. You're not having to think about a whole thing. You can just do that one shot, go and go home and develop that, you know, see how that goes. Soup, just that one shot. And yeah. um, it's just getting over the initial hurdle of getting into it. But it's nowhere near as bad as I thought it would be. I mean, admittedly, I am using a really cheap, heavy old camera and a fairly knackered lens. But, you know, I mean, it gets you into it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good for you, mate. Good for you. So, oh, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go next thing because I've been at the complete opposite end of the spectrum because I've been out shooting 110 film. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. And it's colour, actually, as well. Yes, I completely So, oh, yeah, lovely weather this weekend. And I went to the beach, uh, which was cool. I went to Hailing Island on the south coast of England. And we were out with a family trip out, cycling around uh, and ending up at the beach, watching uh, some kite surfers and having ice creams and stuff like that. And so I took out, because uh, it fits quite nicely uh, in my tiny little cycling backpack, my little tiny Pentax Auto 110 camera. And Ooh. yeah. Is it so your cheap shots challenge camera? It is. It, it is. I was shooting some landscapes for this round of the oh, cheap shots Oh my challenge. God. Wow. Look at you getting in there first. Well, Very good. You know, I, I thought I'm going out. I'm going somewhere that there's going to be some, there's going to be some land and possibly some scape. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and if you get those two the right way round, then uh, yeah, you've got a shot, haven't you? Or you've got scape land. Well, yeah, that's if you get them the wrong way around. Then, then that it doesn't meet the brief, then, does it? It's like uh, many of Graham's photos that enter to the cheap oh, shots challenge. They God. don't actually meet the brief. The brief. That's not true. Mine are always perfectly on topic. <laughs> Rachel is the one that's. All right, all right let's not get into that. <laughs> so, how did you get on trying to shoot some skate land or landscape? Uh, oh, well, it's a piece of cake, isn't it? Because it's a tiny little SLR. So, you, you, you uh, and given it's landscape. Um, uh, actually you just stick it on infinity focus um uh, and go from there i didn't all the time because i was trying a couple that uh that had something very close and detailed in the foreground uh so i was trying to focus on that but uh, we'll see yeah I, I didn't finish the film yet so uh so uh still some more to do but yeah how are you guys was getting this, on with yours was this some that you picked up from the photography show the film that you got from there because i think you picked some up didn't you or was that graham maybe uh i think Lono. this might be i think this might be film i bought from analog wonderland actually ah fantastic. i'm not sure it may have been one it may have been the last of the ones i had before i bought from analog mm. wonderland but uh, uh but it's the same film anyway so it's uh it's, it's all the lomo tiger 200 which is most of what you can get although i did notice that paul was stocking some he did have some of the peacock 110 but it was out of stock by the time I went to buy it, I think. <laughs> he's terrible. I, I presume that's blue. No, the Peacock is a slide, is a slide film. film. It's 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 oh. it's one ten slide film. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think that's you're, what you're it is. You're one ten slides. I, yeah. I never yeah. come across one ten slide film. Yeah, they look that. great. They look great on the light box. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stained glass window. Very, very small stained glass. They're very cute, though. It's really sweet. Oh. Yes, yeah, it goes well with all, all my Lego collection. Yeah, stained glass <laughs> window for Lego people. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, so that was good fun. Yeah, um, and uh, being out and about in the sunshine and stuff uh, is uh, was nice as well. What have you been up to, Rach? Uh, yeah, so this week I've also been out today in the sunshine. Um, it's Arts Week here, and I've been at a primary school we've been making cyanotypes with the kids which is always always good fun and chaos um suitably chaotic <laughs> which i always think actually is partly the reason why i started this in the first place because i like getting messy and just you know doing stupid things that um you don't normally get chance to so when you turn up i turn up with my case and go right kids let's make a load of mess and run around the the uh, field for a bit and the teachers are all tearing the hair out but i, I think it's great <laughs> so i just set them off let, let them go run around get rid of all their energy and then they can come back and make some nice artwork which is which is great so they went and um foraged for bits of uh leaves uh, leaves and uh flowers and 
there were a few buttercups and some daisies and things. So I got them making bookmarks and then making some um, uh, sort of like larger prints as a as a team because the theme was teamwork. So they were putting those all together um, themselves and then we were sat outside in the sun um, waiting for them to expose and they could watch the colours changing, which was really, really important, I think, uh, that they can see a chemical reaction taking place uh, in front of their eyes, really. Um, and then... The, the magical bit really is when they put it into the water to uh, to wash off the, the chems and it changes colour again, which is very cool. So uh, so that's really what I was doing yesterday. I've got some more tomorrow. I've got to go and prep the um, prep the paper ready for that after we've finished recording. Uh, and I've also been uh, busy uploading uh, the storytelling videos that uh, we were capturing or that I was capturing um, over in Estonia and Croatia the last couple of weeks. So. So, yeah, so that's been keeping me busy this week. I had a load of really lovely responses, actually. I, sh- I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who sent me a, a really lovely message about my magazine article, my first sort of, like, feature in Professional Photo Magazine. So that was really nice. Thank you so much. I do really appreciate the support because uh, it was it was quite a big thing for me to uh, to do that, and I wasn't really sure about it and was quite, quite nervous, shall we say. So uh, thank you very much for for um, the lovely responses. That's been really nice. Um, and I also had a, an email from um, from Andre today, um, who obviously, again, friend of the show, somebody who we know well. And uh, he, as you mentioned last week, Graham, has uh, has got his placement uh, with Cine Still at the moment. So he, he's been in touch to say that um, they'd like to send me some of their monobath because obviously we were talking about it last week and about the workshops I do, getting uh, getting people into analog for the first time and what have you. He also suggested maybe Aid would even do a workshop with me. Oh. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> Which would be amazing because then we could test out the Cindy Steel monobath and uh, and find out whether it works. So well, On, uh, on so, a complete newbie, yeah. Yeah, on a complete That's newbie to home processing. I think that would be the best way of getting into it. We might as well yeah. give it a go. Yeah, I I did want to talk about just quickly following on from the uh, money bath money mm. money bath uh, last bath? week because um yeah, Sydney still were great. They were they were very organised and coordinated in a way which was most impressive to see, and um you know the, so there was lots of chat about their money bath which is fantastic, um but I I did kind of a little bit later, but yeah. It reminded me that actually there are other monobaths already out there. Um, and I just thought, oh, we didn't even mention those. And I, I felt not great about that because um, the film photography project, the guys at FPP, they brought out a monobath back at the beginning of this year. Yeah. And and also um, the guys who are behind New 55 film, I can't remember what that's called, but um, they have also got a monobath available. So there are a couple of other alternatives out there. And I just wanted to sort of put that out there. To, you know, this isn't this isn't Sydney still doing something that doesn't isn't around. And obviously none of those sure. guys were the first ones either. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just I, um, I actually I'd heard be- from. Sorry, Rachel. Go on. I was no. I was just going to say I'd I'd um I'd seen the FPP had put theirs out like a, like you say earlier in the year, and I'd I'd looked into that and got I was really really excited about it, and then I looked at the shipping costs, and unfortunately, they were so expensive to the UK. So for oh, obviously yeah. for our for our um, American listeners, and uh, you know, um, for people who who aren't necessarily in the UK, then uh, then as you say, there are um, other other options out there. I think unfortunately for 
for us um the difficulty was that that wasn't something that we were able to kind of like source over here um yeah, and no. yeah the, the um the the postage costs were were pretty pretty horrendous unfortunately so uh, no, that, no, was, that was that's why yeah yeah no it's fine no, no that doesn't need to be a reason race it's fine no it's, um yeah i think cities still have uh, at the very least the european um mm. Rita, which makes Stripter it or something yeah. yeah exactly yeah um but no it was, it was interesting because I, I just um reached out to um michael rasso over at the fpp and they just got a bit more information about monobass in general um you know and he was saying that uh um leslie lazenby who's one of the hosts over at the fpp is actually doing tests on all of them at the moment so they'll be great to actually get some side-by-side results later in the year so that'll mm. be really interesting um and they were just, he's just talking about the fact that um, the results, you know, most said monobars aren't for everyone and they won't mm-hmm. give you necessarily the same results as, you know, your, your favorite developers, but they are really quick. They are really convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they could be a, a, you know, a really useful thing for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, just wanted to. Yeah, and, and presumably all of their recipes will be different as well, and that's that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That we have yes. choice, and and I think you know, along with with all of this resurgence that we've seen, especially over the last you know two years, it's been brilliant because we've got so much choice now. Uh, I don't know if you found that as well, Kate. You know that I mean, look at Analog Wonderland. You've got over 170 films that are out, you know, there in terms of emulsions, and you've got you know choice in terms of your monobath that you might might want to use now and they'll all give you different results and you can choose that for each particular project depending on what kind of um effect you want i guess yeah like um i don't know if you guys recall 2012 and how much of a bad year that was for Mm. for film because that's when i was working for lomography and that's when kodak i think that's when they went bankrupt wasn't it something happened yeah So I remember like loads of films were just just getting discontinued. Um, I remember the only film lab in the Bullring in Birmingham shut down. Um, I remember it was just like a really bad time, and it was like is you really did think back then like film was really going to die, and it was actually really sad. So the fact that it's like a phoenix coming out the like flames or something because with all this film that's available like all these new films that are coming out as well Mm -hmm. it is absolutely incredible and it really does like show like how much love there is in the film photography community Mm -hmm. that people want to keep shooting on this format and it's nice I, i absolutely love it i think it's such a wonderful thing that's happening and Ilford were talking about that, weren't they, Graham? When we went to see them as well, you know, just that that turnaround really, and and what they what they're seeing because they're actually um, a very small team, you know, a lot smaller than than I was expecting it to be. Um, and they, but they, you know, they've they've hung on in there through the through the hard times and the good, you know. And it's kind of nice. It's really lovely to be able to see how how that sort of like t- changed for them as well now. And they're kind of going, ah, oh, okay, actually, we can go out and, you know do more of this now which is brilliant so uh yeah all good yeah there's an excitement and enthusiasm that may have been absent in the broader conversation a few years ago so mm. it's all good it's all good it is indeed it is indeed <laughs> and there's even news from this week as well which is which is good yeah so oh, actually one of them we've already talked about a little bit i think haven't we we've talked about uh the pixelator from hamish mm-hmm. oh yeah that was on the break we talked on that on the break 
No, we mentioned it. We mentioned, no, mentioned it, it on the show last week, I think. Is, is oh, well, yes, on the show last week. Sorry, sorry which is uh, sorry that was oh, yes, and we talked about it on our on the break, but uh, we did. But uh, yeah, so Pixelator. Well, Hamish, wow, um, Hamish has, has unlocked the secret of Kickstarter. Then, yeah, can we borrow some money, please, Hamish? <laughs> Actually, let me rephrase that. Can we have some money, please, Hamish? <laughs> yeah, it's going really, really well. I and mean, you put in the thing, he's at four hundred percent of his target at the moment, um, which is fantastic. Over was it forty five thousand pounds raised of his nine thousand? Ne- ne- nearly, if he's not there yet, he will be in a couple of days' time, I think. So yeah, and he's got over a thousand, over eleven hundred backers at this point as well. So Hamish, yeah. excellent work. Yes, it's just great. Congratulations, dude. Um, and uh, can't wait to see these things out in the world. And you, we're talking about the fact that you've been shooting your 110. I think that's what's really exciting about the what Hamish is hoping will happen with the Pixelator is that people will find ways of doing fun stuff with them, like, like making their own um, gates to scan 110 film, because scanning 110 film is a real problem a real pain in the neck um so yeah it's quite, kind of fiddly <laughs> yeah absolutely and nobody makes well at least none of the sort of um scanners when you buy them come with frames to fit that so um yeah that's a bit annoying yeah. so yes very well done Yes, yes, it's uh, so all, all of those uh, 110 slide films that you can get <laughs> to blow them up to the size of whatever. But it's but it's it be I think this is uh, a fantastic thing that you know, and because we know because we've been talking to Hamish on and off about this for a long time now. We know exactly how many well not exactly, but we know that there was a large number of of development issues that he had to overcome and a large number of uh, interim designs for the product and stuff like that and and I remember, you know, uh how happy he sounded when he got it right <laughs> yeah it did feel like it was a really long process with i mean because you you got one of his, his beta test ones haven't you rach yes yes i got that um through the post which was really nice and um had had a go with that there were definitely some things i was like mm, i'm not sure if that was the original intention for how that was supposed to work Hamish and uh, so we talked about it obviously and then he made some tweaks and some changes um and I believe it's it's quite different now actually um with the with the one that he's launched as the Kickstarter version so so that's great because actually it was quite quite nice to be part of a little bit of that beta testing um possibilities um and and absolutely, it'll be it'll be super useful for for loads of people, for all of us really, I'm sure. So yeah, great. I remember when we had them on, um, him and the other two monkeys on um, before Christmas, and uh, I think he was discussing how the the version he was working with them was had just exploded in his hands. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, were, were... yeah. I think he may have posted me the parts, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay yeah, moving moving on moving on the 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 pixelator from hamish will be very useful to people who short shoot shoot short the with the intrepid mark three who put uh, you know, tell us about that uh, yes yeah, so this popped up this week um intrepid who have been making uh they are a young company who have been making four by five cameras um for a few years now have just released their mark three version of their four by five um and it's just an upgraded and improved version of that camera it looks really smart um as i've been complaining constantly about the weight of ronald a few people on instagram have said 
that that new Intrepid 4x5 looks quite good because it's got full range of movement and stuff like that. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that that's out. Um, you can go to the website and see that now. Also, we will hopefully be chatting to Max from Intrepid fairly soon as well. Um, and this <laughs> to make me feel even more like I need to try and find some money. The good thing with the Intrepid cameras is that, like the Chroma, they are inexpensive four by five cameras which is obviously a relative term but relative to other four by five cameras they are mm. inexpensive so um yeah so yeah as i said hopefully we'll be speaking to them soon um just to find out what they've been up to but yeah it looks really nice um and anybody else who's thinking about getting to into that side of the hobby it's really nice to have the choices with uh intrepid and chroma both making quality um products for us and to lightweight. choose from mm. yeah exactly exactly mm. okay and there's something else on the list there is. So after Intrepid Mark III, there's something else on there. Um, who, who put this into the show notes? I'm not sure, actually. Would this have been uh, you, Aid? It wasn't no, me, actually. Me. No, it wasn't me. No, no, no okay. for <laughs> All right, Graham, um, do you want to take this one as well? Well, I mean, I, it, the lamography, this is, this is quite a break. Uh, Kate, we should ask you Kate. <laughs> yeah, you may you, you you may not be familiar with this, but every now and again, Lomography likes to release an instant camera, Kate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so have <laughs> you seen this? Have worked Kate? at Lomography for quite a while? How long were you there for? I was there for like about eight months. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I wasn't there for that long, but I was there when uh, they introduced the baby cameras for the one ten film. Ah. Uh, yeah, so I remember when that. I was there for when those came out, but yeah, I've seen the uh, the new Diana Instant. What's your hot take on the Lomo Diana instant? I haven't really looked into it too much, to be honest with you. But from what I can gather, they've taken the traditional uh, Di- Diana uh, model, which has been basically kind of like their staple camera for their brand for many years. Like I said, the first experimental camera I got was a Diana Mini. Mm-hmm. So I think this is their... T- move into being making it a instant camera which is really interesting actually because when because I was actually gifted a uh Diana uh when I finished at Lomography and I remember I was I bought a instant back for it mm-hmm. so you can use instant mini with it so it's really cool to see that they've actually just went full front like fully like going instant with it so again you could buy like the lenses for it from what I can see um I, I think you get the flash with it as well um i'm not 100 on that uh let me have a quick look but i think yeah. you get the, the plug but i'm not sure at least at the cheapest option i don't think you get the the it says it says diana instant square flash plug diana f plus flash hot shoe plug so i don't know whether that's just a plug for the thing but not the flash as such who knows who dares to dream yeah. <laughs> But no, it looks pretty cool because um, I think, again, for beginners, uh, a lot of people would rather shoot instantly because I think going into medium format immediately as a beginner is so daunting. Mm. Uh, so it's cool that they've taken probably the most popular model and one of the easiest to uh, use as well and made it into a fully instant camera. It is cool. It's interesting that they've done that. I just hope they come out with um, different colors as well. So it's always been a good selling point. From what I remember working for them, like people love different colours, <laughs> their Dianas. I remember the gold and the black ones being really popular. So it'd be cool if they come out with some different colourways as well. They um Lomo relatively recently um launched their Instax Square, didn't they, as well? So um A, do you have you have one of those as well, don't you? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it is, uh, which is good fun. I'm enjoying it actually. Um, it's got a, it's got a lens I like mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it, it's glass, so it's that bit sharper. But it's also, uh, it, it's also a field of view that I like. I forget how long the lens is, um, but it's roughly a normal lens. I, I think it might be a ninety mil lens or something like that, but it's mm-hmm. r- roughly a normal lens anyway. And so, uh, do you think it would be something that you'd go into looking at the Lomo Diana instant as well, or do you think <laughs> that that would be layering up on a very similar thing that you already have? I th- I think it might. I think layering up is a good thing for it. I think um, I, I had limited success with my Diana. Um, it after a couple of rolls it started rolling really fat rolls of film um, and it didn't get used much after that uh, I, I went to the other brand I started using Holgers instead um, but I tell you mm. what I did do have which I really like is the glass lens for the Diana um, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I would I would say that anybody who's considering getting uh, the Diana instant square uh, also, if you can find them, I'm not sure how many how easy they are to get these days. But uh, to get the glass lens for it uh, would be uh, would be quite a good idea, I think, mm. um, uh, because it does. It so is, we assume that we'll be able to in, yeah to, to to change the lenses on that as well. Then you can do you can, you can yeah oh, you can change. Sorry, Ed, I wasn't sure. No, they are basically exactly the same functionality mm-hmm. as the um, classic Diana. I do love the fact that they're marketing very heavily. Sort of says, "To hell with perfection." <laughs> you may as well say, yeah. "Oh, expect crap," because guess what? <laughs> Diana and um, I mean, it's fine. What it, it's cheap and you cheap. say crap, we say experimental and fun. So you know, it's uh, it's in the eye of the beholder, right, Graham? Uh, yes, absolutely. And it's cheap and cheerful. Uh, and as long as the build quality holds together, that is my only slight concern with it is that um, it will be a bit wobbly because it's, you know, the diner is not a robust camera, but hopefully it will do the job well. Well, you um, have to be doing like Adam did last, he was talking about last week where it, they ended up um, when when a build quality of a, shall we say, toy camera in inverted commas uh, was too good, ended up being too good, it, it got the drill out and uh, make his own light leaks <laughs> well fair enough <laughs> fair enough so we've got plenty so uh, and, and of course as all lamography uh, uh kickstarters do this one has blitzed through its goal um uh, after a few days is is 200 a target uh so uh, so uh, actually it's probably fair to say for a lamography kickstarter after two after a few days it's only 200 percent of its target <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Good luck to them with that. I'd be interested to see you know what what comes out of it. I guess it's uh, it's all in the lens. I guess at that point, isn't it? So yeah, I'm interested. Get for it. Yeah, I'm interested to see whether it's it, it is it a similar audience to the people who back the Lomo Square, like age, like yourself or myself or what have you, or is it because because of the layering up thing? It's like well, actually, if we've already got that and we've just invested in that, then. There's no point buying this, although it's cute and it looks nice. Um, or is know. this a different audience entirely? It's uh, yeah, it's interesting to know. Just mm. see what happens. See what happens. Mm. Okay, well that's probably it for the news. So I think we're on to uh, what? Well, it's listener email time. Over to you, Graham. 
Okay, I'll take the first one. So these are mostly people getting in with their cheap shots challenge entries for the next, the current round, which is landscape. First well, one is I, I from... work very commendable too. Graham, how are you getting on with your cheap <laughs> shot challenge entries? Uh, I've nearly started. Um, Rachel, how are you getting on with your cheap shots challenge entries? I, I, I like that phrase. I've nearly started as well. <laughs> yeah. See? Rachel, I'm neck and neck in second place. Um, the first email is from Roger Lund, uh, who sent us a very pretty pictures which you will be able to see once i get organized and put them on when the uh, judging comes around um, my two both from the same night but the light was good mm. a bit of history i started listening to the show when simon came over to guest speak uh, simon of course from course from the classic lenses podcast starting about 2014 i had been adapting lenses to mirrorless i've lost track of the number of lenses but i've managed to get a few film camera bodies that came with the lenses this actually came as a set for £24, sorry, $24 at a local pawn shop. After a few episodes of the show, I decided to order the OM1. <gasps> yes. And so to my surprise, the shots turned out. Thus, Why is he fast- surprised? Hang I on. don't know. <laughs> fast forward a couple of weeks and about six rolls later, and here I am. I decided I could use this XD11, it's the Minolta, and knowing that 58mm 1.4 is a great and undervalued lens, I set out to the challenge. Thus, the below shots are with the Minolta XD11, the Minolta MC Rockor, who's my favourite MC, <laughs> yeah, 58mm 1.4, and Fuji Superior Extra 400. Uh, I went with Can't the be much of that left either. No, 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 which is a no. shame. Well, I mean, no, because they're not making... Yeah, they're still making the 400, aren't they? Or oh, that's still available. It was the 200 that got oh. discontinued <coughs> this week anyway. I do like Fuji Superior. I was listening to the uh, Negative Positive podcast and they were being very dismissive of it, saying, oh, it's only good for red scale, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, God, you post it all here then, you big whiners. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, I love Fuji Superior. I shot that in Shanghai and it was amazing. I was really chuffed with how that came out. Yeah, it, it does. It's got doing greens and blues and reds. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm out of that film now, by the way. Oh, there you go. It's getting turned around. So I grabbed some T Max 100 and I'm waiting for the next challenge uh, while also ordering some more Fuji 200 and Lomo Color 100. Well, it's great. It's I said, we have to thank Simon, I guess, really, um, for you know bringing Roger over to us, who has then wholeheartedly dived back into the film world, which is fantastic. Uh, and the pictures were lovely as well. Um, Rach, do you want to take this next one from Oliver? Sure. Um, just quick apologies in case anybody can hear the dog. She's woofing outside the, the door telling me that it's time for bed <laughs> um, because uh, she tends to do that. So sorry if that appears whilst I'm reading this out. Anyway, the next email is from Oliver Grimm. Uh, I haven't missed one, have I? No, there we go. Um, so Oliver says, Dear Sonnies, forget Ansel Adams because I seem to have forgotten him. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have even dared to shoot some landscape photography sh- uh, short of shooting landscape on some sort of point-and-shoot camera. But here we are, and you have to cope with the results. Apparently, we have to cope with the results. He says, first the tech side. Both pictures were shot on the same day on the same camera. The camera is an Olympus XA2. Ah, so I have the XA and um uh, i believe the xa2 and xa3 are pretty uh, you know relatively similar i think it's rather than you have the uh, feet in terms of distance you have the 
uh, little picture on the side. Um, Kate, do you happen to have anything like an XA or XA2 or anything? No, like not really. I'm, I'm fingers. I've always budgeted with my cameras because mm-hmm. I've never been in that, you know, very good position to splurge mm-hmm. on a good good camera. But I'm, I've always been. I'm, I'm kind of getting to a point where I'm saving money and I'm looking to invest mm. in something new. So I'm actually very open to any suggestions they are a really cute and very good little pocket camera um and uh yeah i I mean in terms of splurging my mine was given to me for free thankfully so yeah uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, i went along similar lines anyway so um he says the camera that he's used for this is the olympus xa2 uh which he recently snagged at a flea market for just five euros which is amazing wow um so yeah normally they are um now going up in price you know similar to that the um what's the um what's the one that you have graham like six of uh, two two of um the spider's ethics yeah. there we go yeah um, that kind of thing um so uh so well done on that for getting one for five euro because normally they're you know sort of like 70 80 odd uh, pounds now um he said yes i know it isn't a real cheap camera when it comes to the pics it can take but be assured it's a real beaten up cam <laughs> that must have seen better days uh, but after some work and some new light seals it works properly sort of every third frame i think uh, I mean, generally, this sounds like it's at least on the Cheap Shots Challenge ethos. <laughs> um, he says, so I had some money uh, left over to buy a new film for it. It is a Roly RPX 100, which I shot at ISO 100. What else? The landscape. To be honest, it's only some sort of landscape. I'm living in Berlin. And as you probably know, it is a city not some great landscape. <laughs> so I took the chance and went with my family to an outdoor pool. It's a classic East German pool, which hasn't been renewed since 1983, it seems. Gosh. Um, there I found something which resembled a landscape and made the best out of it. But it seems that the Olympus isn't the best landscape camera in the world. So to be uh, forbearing and don't judge a picture by the picture, because coming <laughs> to the end, I have to say that your podcast is one of the best when it comes to analogue photography and I wouldn't want to miss one, even with Graham in it. <laughs> oh, ouch. Ouch. Um, uh, he says, dear truly, uh, from Oliver Grimm, you should manage to not slaughter my name. Yes, like the Brothers Grimm. I am the German. <laughs> he says, apparently, unless you put that in, Graham. Did you no, put that in? Not, not guilty. Not guilty. Are you sure? That, well. I don't believe you. Um, he says, you can find me on Twitter. Um, on Twitter, Ollie is at Ollie, O L I underscore Grimm, G R I M M underscore photo. Um, on Instagram with the same handle and on my website he's olivergrim.info so long and keep on sunnies he says so um, it's very odd to read out the email without actually seeing the the images I'm (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing the images Um, Graham you've seen them I presume Uh, no actually I don't think I have looked at all of those yet so um, it'll be a a surprise for all of us do you want to take the next one Aid? well (laughs) I was was going to ask ask uh kate actually a couple of things so so do you shoot much landscape kate yeah i try to so with my lc wide um i try and shoot a lot of landscape when possible i was very fortunate like this year i went to say anton in austria so i did my first ever mountains landscape <gasps> yeah so i actually i shot with my nikon f100 with my so i use a telephoto lens so my 70 to 200 millimeter lens and yeah, so I was just bored over about being able to do some mountain landscape. 
So there's a couple of pictures actually on my um, Instagram uh, of that. So I did some doubles. So sometimes my take on landscape is doing a double exposure, but I do like to do the traditional stuff as well, like the normal straight uh, shots. They're not the blue ones, no? Yeah, they're the blue ones. Oh, they're the blue ones. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, I've I've taken some other ones as well because I just didn't want to overdo it with posting Mm -hmm. them because I was so excited when I got them back. And um, I shot on some of... uh, it's been discontinued, Adox Color Implosion as well. Is that so, what these were on? No, this was on uh, the Kono film. I can't remember the name, but it's the really low ISO one, uh, ISO film, which is like... Uh, the six. ISO 6, yes. Yeah. So it yeah. that because it was so bright and mm-hmm. white there. So I thought this film would work really well with it. So yeah, I just took loads of pictures of mountains while I was out there. In terms and of the tint, the blue, is that was that already... Is that the colour that that film is? Or yeah. have so, you souped that? No? I haven't done anything to it, okay. no. So, because I'm quite wary of film that I've never used before that I won't soup it. So, that film, I never used it before. And, um, yeah, so I knew it may come out kind of blue from what I could see from uh, sample shots from where I bought it from. And, yeah, so I had it. I was half expecting it. And with the in- colour implosion film, which, again, sadly is discontinued by ADOX, but... The film, the pictures that look absolutely gorgeous. So they will be popping up soon on like my Instagram and on my Twitter. Mm-hmm. And they just look like they're not from like this year. They look like they could be from any time, like from like 30 years ago or God knows when. But yeah, so I do try to do a lot of landscape. I'm very, intre- I, I'm very into doing like nature and um, taking pictures of other things besides people's faces. So mm. I, yeah. Cool, good so stuff. I like, yeah, it's good. It's, it's good stuff. So, so all you need now is a is a camera that costs less than twenty quid, and then you're in. You're in <laughs> you know, for the cheap shots challenge. Automatic entry, I think. There, uh, Kate, Aww. you get into the uh, into the competition. Excellent. <laughs> I have a look in charity shots with some cheap cameras soon. Then. Yeah, yeah. Graham, Graham, Graham will send you a whole box full if you like. Um, <laughs> That's a crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you yeah that that that'll be fine yeah no so it's uh yes so because la- landscape is uh it's, it's an interesting one for me because i was out the weekend shooting trying to shoot this and it's hard i don't i'm not much of a landscape shooter so so it's quite tricky for me to uh to try and make landscapes work but uh ah well ah well let's see what the next email says then shall we so okay here we go i shall take the next one oh goody <laughs> okay so sorry this is this is um uh, not because i don't like the person who sent the email it's because i'm going to struggle to do justification to the uh to the pronunciation of the name so i am sorry sven olav humberset if i have mispronounced your name um but that's about as good as it's going to go i'm afraid so hopefully that's close he says uh hello sunflowers uh, this is my debut in the Cheap Shots Challenge. Ah, right. Okay, good stuff. Well, welcome Ooh. to uh, welcome to the challenge. After listening to all of your podcasts, yes, all of them. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Even the ones Graham's in. And so it was about <laughs> time to contribute to the wonderful show. Well, thank you very much. I am a Norwegian fine art photographer, although it is debatable if my images are art or fine. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I, I'm sure that's not true. Um, I have to admit, I did not buy a camera for this challenge, but I found the cheapest I own, a Fed 5 with a banged up lens. Uh, Graham? I've not seen a Fed 5. Graham, What's you love the Fed, do don't you, Graham? Uh, I don't have a Fed 5. No, I mean, they're, they're a, a cheap old Soviet rangefinder. The Fed 5 oh. is 
not a particularly sought after one. So I know I think that's acceptable. I can absolutely believe that he got a Fed Five Chief. Okay, <laughs> that, okay, and uh, it says taking on bulk loaded Foma Pound One Hundred. So that's going to be pretty economical as well, isn't it? Oh yes, definitely. Uh, side note for Graham: after the Fed scratches my glasses up big time, uh, <laughs> I bought the rubber replacement rubber eye it. cup. For yeah. one pound on eBay and glued it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really ought to do that with a few of my cameras because I've got new glasses now, uh, which are really expensive. I, I very much resent the fact that the only new lenses I bought this year are stuck on my face and they cost me like over a hundred. This way, you use them a hundred percent of the time. Uh, I think I'd rather wander true, around you are blind. Pretty blind. So, yeah, you know. true that, true that. But yeah, good tip there, good so, tip. Yes, actually, actually, it reminds me of one of my Nikons, actually, the, the, the little rubber thingy fell off, so I need to buy a replacement one of those as well. Um, yeah, you don't want your little rubber thingy falling off, Aid. Do you think that, uh, no, indeed, uh, it, that's a disaster when that happens. Anyway, uh, back backstory of the image, and of course, I can't, <laughs> I can't see the images either. After seven hours of tracking through the wild forest of Norway's west coast, I was running low on water and food, and I had not taken a single image yet. Wow, in seven hours, blimey. This was the fourth attempt of getting a shot for the Cheap Shot Challenge, and so I was determined to get the job done. As I laid down by a small creek to have a drink of water, I suddenly spotted something between the rattling leaves. I stood up and crossed the creek, not thinking of using longer steps to avoid the water. <laughs> I was wondering whether it was running away from or going towards... I don't know, it says, plan my way through the bushes, and there it was, the moment I had been waiting oh, for. God. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. This was taking a five-minute walk from my house. <laughs> Love the show. Uh, can I just say, because I, I, after reading that, I went and looked at the picture. I think Sven has a real, if that's five minutes walk from his house, boy, are we at a disadvantage because five minutes walk from Sven's house is spectacular. Oh I mean, God. in a way that, you know, I guess Norway's quite noticeable, but oh boy, yeah, it's a one hell of a view he's got. So that's awesome. Can I just say that that has been on my like wish list for so long to go to somewhere like Norway and and just take photos of of mountains and beautiful landscapes and things I ah oh, yeah I mean I think the closest we get is probably Scotland you know um but yeah it would just be wonderful it's uh, it's somewhere I'd, I would love to go to um so I I thoroughly look forward to seeing the images he's got five minutes walk from his house Brilliant. don't don't you hang out in <laughs> Snowdonia a lot um well it is over the border um, but I've never climbed it, I'm afraid, no. My my 10-year-old son you... did that last week. I'm sure you could manage it, Rach. <laughs> I thought you had family over that way. Oh, well, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like anywhere, isn't it? When you live there, you don't really sort of go to the place, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I lived in the Snowdonia National Park for 10 years, and I haven't walked up Snowden, so, you Well, know. there you go. So, ah. I don't feel quite as bad. Well, well thank you very that... much for that, um, Sven Olav Humberset. I feel like I should have a go as well. Okay. All right. Well, last email then. Back to Graham for the last one. Okay. This one is from Malcolm Myers, who just a very quick one. Hi, Sunbeams. I was listening to one of your shows a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned another podcast given by a Canadian question mark man with a really deep voice. <laughs> John Wilkinson. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nearly right close I found the <laughs> website and was going back to have a look at it but lost it and cannot find it in my history it was something like John Wynn Stanley do you have a link uh, um, I've never was... heard of either of those two blokes <laughs> 
No, but you may have heard of John Wilkening and his podcast, The Creative Bar. Um, and that's who we were talking about. Uh, yes, um, a very good show and lots of interesting conversations on there. And um, we will try and remember to put, I will try and remember. No, sorry, I don't know why I'm saying we. I will try and remember to put a link in the show notes to um, John's podcast. Um, Mike uh, Malcolm Rather continues, by the way, still listening and enjoying the show. And I have to agree with Graham. Full stop. Oh no! Wait, there's more. <laughs> no, no, the, the, Bellini, <laughs> the Bellini C41 kit is great. I'd never done color or XP2 at home, but now I can't stop. All of it, <laughs> from Malcolm. Um, thank you very much, Malcolm. Yes, I continue to enjoy using that uh, C41 kit. It's nice and easy. I did some more on it last week, and yeah, it's just easy breezy. Mm. You might want to just repeat, actually, John's surname just. So he doesn't get confused with me being silly over it. Uh, yes. It's John Wilkening, and you'll find him on Twitter and Instagram uh, as John Wilkening. As I said, I'll put a link in the show notes, probably. F- famous for his handheld pinhole shots. Mm, absolutely. With, with and he was also the, um, the cover of Let's Explore magazine um, previously. He has, yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, there we go. So listener emails there, um, which I think uh brings us towards the end of the show for this week doesn't it it does it does i just want to give a very quick shout out to um londinium cameras who are on uh twitter i'm not sure whether they're on instagram but certainly on um uh, uh that's Lyndon who um i sent my i sent one of my cameras off to this week and he's been great uh, getting it sorted out for me, and it's on its way back already. So, I just wanted to give him a shout out. And I am 100% certain I'm going to be sending more cameras his way because he got it dealt with really quickly. And I'm trying to convince him, and he's, he's being a little reticent, I'm trying to convince him to come on the show and talk to us about the whole camera repair side of things because that's something that I would really like to know more about. <laughs> These old cameras are getting older and they're more broken. So, hopefully, at some point, we'll get him on. But, um, anyway, is he like the anti Graham? then <laughs> like you, yeah, you break him and he fixes him yes that i think is going to be the way that this relationship goes yes absolutely. <laughs> okay fair enough right well there we go um uh well yeah fantastic show um kate thank you ever so much for being on the show have you enjoyed yourself oh yeah definitely thank you for having me well you're most welcome uh most welcome indeed um we do like to give our guests a chance to uh direct our listeners to their various different spots on the internet and i, and I know you've got a good a good handful so uh, are there any in particular you'd like the listeners to go to yeah i have a few if that's okay sure including, go for it including a really good photographer who i'll mention at the end so the first one is uh my film freak channel uh so it's film freak but it's double e instead of ea and uh for analog customers if you subscribe i actually do have an exclusive discount for uh, anyone wishing to make any purchases on analog wonderland we are coming up with a system on how to uh give out the code but so far so good from what i've gathered from paul uh the next one is i'm actually coming up with my first photo zine in august um a lot of yeah, so a lot of the photos that are appearing on my Instagram right now, in particular the portraits of the beautiful girls that I've been taking pictures of, they are going to appear in a photo zine called Bloom Days. And that's actually going to be available on Analog Wonderland as well. Um, I've also got my website coming out, um, probably not in August because I'm slowly working on it. Um, but that will actually have prints but available but made to order 
So if there's a print, if there's a photograph of mine that you like and you want a print of it, I'm going to have it so it can be made to order. So you can have a particular size, a particular finish. So that's just something I'm currently working on. Uh, new videos as well for Film Freak. I'm recording two this week. One is going to be about doing galaxy double exposures and another one's going to be about damaging film uh, damaging disposable cameras. I've done one before where I've messed with the lens, but the, the new one is going to go a little bit more extreme. It's going to involve hammer and nails. So yeah. I, took, I took a couple apart the other day, actually. It was great fun. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing that one. And the last thing I want to... Last person actually i want to mention is a photographer called martin ruffin so he is literally probably one of the best film photographers i know i've had the pleasure of actually hanging out with him earlier this year his instagram handle is just martin ruffin so martin f-u-double-f-i-n he is absolutely brilliant like his work is just out of this world and i'm so glad i actually got the opportunity to just hang out with him one evening and just take some photographs of him and i'm planning on doing some fo- photos of him again very soon but we're just not sure when okay wow good stuff there okay and uh and and at least two instagram channels of your own then one under your name kate hook and the other mm-hmm. under film freak mm-hmm. itself Okay, gosh. Well, we'll, we'll try include as many of those as we possibly can <laughs> in, in the show. In the show notes, Graham, are you taking notes there? Um, yes, of course no, you are. I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm, 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 we'll sure <laughs> I'm sure Kate will send me the link to the Malcolm's uh, uh, anyway. That, that Instagram yeah. account. Yes, yeah. Thanks. Okay. All right. In which case, then, brilliant. Uh, uh, well, that's us uh, ready to sign out for this week. Then, uh, thank you um, to everybody that's been on the show this week. It's good to have the three of us actually, three, three, all three hosts on for for once in a while. Um, so you can get in touch in touch with us on the internet, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you'll find Graham uh, at Sunny Sixteen Podcast um graham yeah you seem to have taken over the twitters now um so if anybody had noticed uh, our twitter account has got slightly ruder and more direct than uh, it had been previously um that's because <laughs> I, I i am not showing it as much love as i should and, and graham has been allowed the keys for too long um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always there when you want to do we, we share it's timeshare we do yeah yes i am trying to get uh, i am trying to get to it uh but like a holiday home Yes. 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 The Graham owns, and I get to visit one week a year and be nice to people. (laughs) And you wonder why the neighbours look at you weird. (laughs) Yes. uh, My next go, I think, is uh, is the run up to Christmas. Right. okay uh you can find rachel on uh facebook uh which might be a little bit more pleasant uh or you can email us at sunny16podcast at gmail.com and, last... and we also have a website oh oh yeah why does it say in the... yeah it's got a very old i don't know why it's not in the, in the notes That's... no i don't know something's wrong with the show notes there you could also get in touch with us at sunny16podcast.com uh, which is where Graham has actually now, I think, uh, you've now posted all of the uh, shots from the last round of the Cheap Shots Challenge, haven't you? Yeah, they're all up on there. And also the show notes go up on there um, mostly every week. Sometimes they're a week behind, but uh, I'm generally fairly on top of it. So it's a good place to go if you want to find links to the stuff Kate's been talking about, um, you know, uh, anything like that. Um, you'll find all that stuff up there. Okay, excellent. Good stuff. Which means that the last thing to mention is that the music we will play you out with is by Rachel's band Rocha. And you can find their um, their 
album, excuse me, promises I should have kept on Spotify, on Amazon, or on iTunes. <sighs> Nearly got through that. That wasn't bad, was it? Nearly closed the show good. without. Nearly closed the show without making a mess of it. <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, that's it. Uh, it's been a joy to speak to you all. Uh, we will be back next week. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.